0: 18 months after Girls Can Tell, Spoon released Kill the Moonlight to immediate critical and popular acclaim. No more hawking their wares from the back of a van, so to speak. They had suffered the agony of Lafitte and finally were getting somewhere. By now you know I'm enamored with Spoon's affinity for the short album format and this one clocks in at around 35 minutes with 12 tracks filling in a spacious yet minimalist soundscape built around melodic and catchy piano yes, piano, and guitar hooks. 12 songs, 35 minutes, perfect. Brit and Jim wanted to do something a bit different from their peers at the time. Brit, what most indie rock bands at that time were doing seemed lazy. That's what indie rock was, lazy. We wanted to make a record that was not lazy and was not afraid to show that we wanted to put some creativity and ideas into this thing. So they took inspiration from sources such as Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Bringing in these new wave sounds to the piano hooks. Brit again. When I listen to Kill the Moonlight now, it sounds like an album of new wave demos. But it worked. I remember being at a wedding with Jim Eno after it came out. And I said, that's definitely our best album. This album was churned out in no time at all. Producer Mike McCarthy had other commitments. So they were down to six weeks studio time. And then Jim's tape machine went, knocking another two weeks off. This is a Beatles-esque album turnaround. Small stakes and The Way We Get By are starting off the album in style, meshing the maturity of Girls Can Tell with the hooks and melodies of a series of sneaks. This is the new spoon sound. Precisely produced, minimalistic, and catchy as hell. One of the other standout tracks is Jonathan Fisk. I mean, just for a second, imagine being bullied at school, making it in a band, and then finding out your ex-bully is a fan who comes to your shows. Then write a song about it. Um, Brit. On Jonathan Fisk, I, hadn't, I haven't seen him in a while, but there was a time I could count on him, being at pretty much all our Austin shows. He was one of those guys that was into metal in middle school, and I liked some metal, but I was more into new wave. Somehow that represented what was a conflict between us, because I was looked at as gay. That's the way it came across to people in Temple, Texas. Maybe they also didn't like my personality. but well, I don't think my personality was very loud. Though it wasn't really one of their problems. Anyway, he was a metal guy. And by the time he got into college, he was now into the cure and became real liberal. He was an interesting guy. I think he was still angry. But he wasn't angry with new waivers or who he perceived of as homosexuals anymore. He seemed to have had a transformation. So... For me, this album's fantastic. Um, It is minimalistic, Uh, there's some catchy little tunes, a couple of standout tracks. It's not quite uber-spooned yet, but we're getting there. And finally, after the string of bad luck, this is the album that finally buried the idea of them being underdogs.
1: Having burned their sound to the ground on Kill the Moonlight, Spoon set about building it back up on Gimme Fiction. There's a wider array of sounds and instruments on display than ever before, including cello and viola, while the songwriting goes to more fanciful, dark and abstract places, full of apocalyptic imagery, references from Brit's evangelical Christian upbringing and surreal narrative turns. I particularly like The Two Sides of Monsieur Valentine which is all about a play called The Stranger Dance that exists nowhere outside Brit's imagination. According to an interview with NPR, Gimme Fiction was influenced to a large extent by Princes Around the World in a Day and The Beatles' Revolver, which can be heard in its psychedelic sounds, explicitly in the guitar solo On the Delicate Place, its studio trickery, and its off-kilter rhythms. On this last score, Brit points to Sister Jack, which the band worked on with John McIntyre from Tortoise. McIntyre pushed them to experiment with time signatures, which you can hear in the extra beat thrown in at the end of every other bar on the out chorus. Bassist Josh Zarbo, who had been with Spoon since a series of sneaks, left the band during the Gimme Fiction sessions. He had quit the band two or three times before this, wrestling with a desire to go back to school. In fact, Zarbo only plays on one track on this album, My Mathematical Mind. Britt himself plays most of the rest of the bass on Gimme Fiction, along with about a dozen other instruments. My Mathematical Mind also features Piano by Eric Harvey, who would soon become a full member of the band and stay with them through They Want My Soul. This was the first album to land Spoon on the Billboard 200, pushed by the dancey, princey, voyeuristic single I Turned My Camera On. Gimme Fiction spent five weeks on that chart, peaking at number 44. To me, this may be Spoon's best record, although I go back and forth on that. It's a real headphone album, and I always find new layers and details when I put it on. Amazingly, though, it was soon followed by a non-album single as good as nearly anything on it called My First Time Volume 3. Is this a reference to a porno vid? I don't know, but you should definitely look this track up on Spotify. And the next year, another excellent new track, The Book I Write, showed up on the soundtrack to the Will Ferrell movie Stranger Than Fiction, which Brit also helped to score, and which contains a few older Spoon tracks to boot.
0: Can we call this one an indie blockbuster? Gaga, gaga, gaga. I, I always get the gars wrong. Possibly the most spoony of all spoon albums. Comes out in 2007. And this was my entry point into spoon. They were building off the success, both commercial and critical, of Gimme Fiction. And what we get is an absolute classic. From the opener, Don't Make Me a Target, we get an exquisitely crafted album, clocking in at 36 minutes. Catchy banger after catchy banger. I know I keep going back to how short the albums are but in this day and age it's refreshing sometimes to have something so unashamedly tight and not baggy. I am aware of the irony of talking about keeping things tight when previous uh, episodes of this podcast have clocked in just over two hours. Anyway I could talk about every single song for hours from the hand claps and the underdog to the brick call and response in the ghost of you lingers so damn good. There's not a single bad track on this. We've got Don't Make Me A Target, Rhythm and Soul, which includes possibly the only reference to Egg and Soldiers, and the, let's be honest, classic pop rock ballad closer in Black Like Me. Lyrically, this album shines with its principled eclecticism. He smells like the insides of closets upstairs, the kind where nobody goes. I spent the night in the map room, I humanized the vacuum. Tracked houses, square couches, short legs and square shoulders, pot holders, egg and soldiers.